Hey guys, and thanks for checking out this episode of the John Campia Show podcast, the audio-only version of the John Campia Show on YouTube. This episode was recorded on Monday, August the 10th, 2020, titled Surprise Henry Cavill Superman Announcement at DC Fandom. We're glad that you're joining us today, guys. Remember, if you're listening to this podcast, you can also submit a comment or question for the live questions part of the show simply by using the tip link in the description of this podcast. That's streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show and you'll be supporting the show at the same time. And for now, let's get to the episode. Rob, you and I have been talking for some time about the fact that it is not a prediction. It's not whether we hope it will happen, whether it should or should not happen. It's just something that is happening. And that is the death and the disappearance of physical media. We've seen sales for you know 4K and DVDs and Blu-rays drop like a stone. The number one producer in the world of Blu-ray players just announced a few months ago that they were getting out of the Blu-ray disc player game altogether. We've seen it fall more and more. Now, we're starting to hear a little bit from the content producers themselves. A report has just come out. I believe it's originally from Digibits. This is coming to us from our friends over at Slashfilm who writes, Hold on to your physical media because it may start to look pretty lonely on your shelves over the next few years. The demand for physical media has slowly, not all that slowly, Slashfilm, <laughs> the demand for physical media has slowly stagnated. As streaming has become king, but the promise of new 4K Ultra HD editions of catalog titles has always kept a light burning for the home video format, but not for Disney. According to a new report, the studio has reportedly halted production on future Disney 4K physical media releases of catalog titles, including the entire 20th Century Studios library. This does not bode well for 4K releases of classics like The French Connection, which is awesome, by the way, uh, Fight Club and Aliens. The Digital Bits reports that Disney does not have any plans for future 4K Ultra HD catalog releases apart from... Uh, Disney, Pixar, Star Wars, and Marvel-related projects. The outlet, the outlet reports that Disney is abandoning 4K physical media in order to focus on building its new streaming service, Disney+. Plus. Rob, it should be pointed out here that what they have not said, because I know some people are going to freak out, but one of the things, what they did not say here is, as of today, we're not making any more discs at all, period. That is not what was being said today. It is, we are stopping production on 4K Ultra HD. Uh, we might make an exception for Star Wars and Marvel. Blah, blah, blah. But it is inevitably the latest domino to fall in this progression we are heading towards the, the death of physical media. I mean, it'll always be around in some shape or form, but for the most part as a popular format, it is going away. We've seen the producers of the hardware getting out of the business and now we're starting to see signs of one of the biggest content creators out there, Disney, kind of signaling that they're looking at ending their run on physical media as well. Rob, you take a look at this report today. Uh, what do you think about this and what's your reaction? Well, as somebody once said, I am the pharaoh of physical media. And, <laughs> uh, you know, I've I've worked and I've uh, I worked in creating physical media. I mean, as you know, I was talking ad infinitum about uh doing the hills run red special features this year on a film i produced which we did for scream factory um i think with disney's earning reports i think deciding to not produce 4k discs especially from the fox catalog is short-sighted at least for now 
because while it is true that physical media has been dropping in terms of sales every year, uh, double digits, you know, talking 15% a year, and the market is, is about to $4 billion a year in physical media sales, it's still $4 billion a year. And with movie theaters not open and actually disc sales spiking during this coronavirus epidemic, uh, I would say it was a little short-sighted. Now, we know, John, absolutely that with the advent of Disney+, Plus, Disney has no incentive to release their catalog titles or their new titles on 4K discs. I mean, I, I always thought that their Skywalker Saga 4K box set was their really last hurrah. And at the end of last year, they were putting out all their animated classics and Pixar movies. It was almost like a 4K fire sale. However... There's a lot of incredible classic films. There's a huge hunger for 4K discs. And right now, 4K discs are still better than streaming in terms of their quality, their reliability. And there are, I mean, how can you not to release things like Fight Club and Aliens on 4K? Those are exactly the titles that sell the best in the format because they're reference quality titles. And like you said, French Connection or movies like Patton, there's an incredible depth of the 20th Century Fox library that if we're not going to get on 4K, that's a huge loss. Now, I have most of these titles on Blu-ray, but I would love to get them on 4K UHD with Dolby Vision. And unfortunately, I think especially now, it's short-sighted. It's short-sighted. Now, we all know that physical media will die, John. It's an inevitability. It's going to die. It's not even going to be a niche market because the niche market will have been niched out you know, all the titles anybody wants will be sold, and they, they have been. But I think, unfortunately, I, I think this is a premature move by Disney. I understand they're focusing on Disney+, Plus, but the Fox titles they're talking about are not going to go on to Disney+. Plus. And I think it's still, you put out Fight Club, you put out Aliens, you put out French Connection, you put out Patton, you put out any of these great catalog titles in 4K, they are going to sell. Now, the one thing that they can do that they haven't said is they can license these titles out to other companies. Arrow, for instance, one of my favorite boutique agency companies, uh, uh, they've done a lot of genre films, horror titles. They're putting out their first 4K title this month. They're putting out the new 4K restoration of Universal's Flash Gordon. And that was done by Studio Canal. They, and I, I think it's, um, that might be what happens. But it's amazing to me that a studio like Disney, who owns Fox, would license their titles out to someone else to sell. But that's what they've been doing with their Touchstone and Hollywood Pictures titles. You know, it's it's interesting, too, because I think the other thing you got to keep in mind here is that there is the sense of what is their priority, right? Because remember, it's not just Disney+. Plus. Disney+, Plus isn't the only part, isn't the only right. bullet in their chamber for what their streaming strategy is. They have their international star service that they're developing now. And they have been very quietly, but very noticeably, investing even more and more into the Hulu platform. Yes, like they, they have. They really got a thing for Hulu. So if their whole idea is that they want to get people on those services, then it kind of... I could see an argument being made that it becomes counterproductive to your main goal if you if you continue to offer alternatives to that. Yep. So it may be short-sighted, but as you were pointing out, it is nonetheless kind of a sign of the times at the moment. The question here for you guys is this. What do you think about this move? Maybe you think this is just a blip and really isn't all that significant. Maybe you think it's even more significant than we're making it out to be. Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, 
with that down, let's do one more off the top before we get into our main topics today. And this one for an off the top is kind of a doozy and literally just dropped about 20 minutes before we started the show. Rob, one of the questions that I get asked, uh, I'm not going to say frequently, but regularly on a fairly regular cadence. One of the questions I've been asked over the years is, what do we think about the chances of another Tron movie? Right. And it's been challenging because the last Tron movie they did, they did with great fanfare and didn't do what they were hoping it would do at the box office and didn't go over as well with people as they were hoping. There are some people who absolutely love that movie, others who were pretty indifferent towards it. And one of the things I said is like, you know, it's always possible, but I feel like the longer we go, at least my thoughts have been. The longer we go without another Tron movie, I I feel like the less and less the chances are that we're going to get it, particularly a sequel to that Tron movie. Well, Rob, I don't know all the details yet, because like I said, this thing just dropped like 20 minutes before we started the show, but it is now being reported on Deadline that Lion director Garth Davis is set to direct a new Tron movie starring Jared Leto. So apparently this this thing is coming. This just dropped. Well, I'll read this first paragraph here exclusive after taking its time figuring out where it wants the next Tron installment to go. Disney sci-fi franchise looks to have new life as we're being as we are hearing that uh, Gareth Evans uh, Davis, I should say uh, Gareth Evans Evans would be a very different director for this movie. G- uh, Garth Davis has been tapped to direct the pick starring Jared Leto. Now, th- there's not meant many details here that goes into it, but they are making another Tron movie which I think has got to be exciting for a lot of people. It's going to be starring an Academy Award winning actor in Jared Leto. I think that sounds great. Rob, I can already tell you though right now, I already know there are going to be there are going to be Tron fans out there who are, whose enthusiasm is going to be tempered because with it starring Jared Leto, it appears, appears, we don't know all the details yet, but at least on the surface, it appears this is not going to be a direct follow-up to the last Tron movie. And I think that'll disappoint some people. I think other people will just be excited we're getting another Tron. Again, I am very light on details right now because this dropped. But Rob, you're the one who told me about this just as we're about to start the show. What's your reaction to this and what direction do you think they're going to go? Well, I have a little history with the franchise and that I did in 2002, a feature-length uh, documentary about the making of Tron for That's the, right. the 20th anniversary DVD. So I love Tron. Uh, I was not as enamored of Tron Legacy as I wanted to be, although I was enamored of the Daft Punk score. Now, the, I, I think having Jared Leto interested, Academy Award winner, I mean, he's had a really interesting career. He was in movies like Fight Club. He was in a movie that I love called Mr. Nobody that I enjoyed. And, you know, he, he had a, a role in American Psycho. And, of course, he was in Dallas Buyers Club. And, and he's had a really interesting career. And I think this might be the kind of thing that gets the movie made. Now, I still would like to see Garrett Hedlund and Olivia Wilde and Jeff Bridges come back from Tron Legacy and, and be in the film. But if they're going to make this with the technology, the leaps in technology they've made even since Tron Legacy, this could be a really cool movie. And again, if if they can make this and it doesn't have to cost, if they can make this for, say, $125 million, as opposed to $200 million or $175 million, I, I think I would hope that they could get this thing made. I think people love Tron. 
I mean, you know, everybody who's a kid who grew up with game, gamers, gamers, you can't look, even the, the, the movie is dated. Tron 1982 doesn't look like any other movie. They've never made another video game movie that looks like it. It has its own weird sort of retro look because it was the first movie that relied heavily on CGI. And I think people are very affectionate toward this franchise. And if they do make another Tron, it, they, if it's kick ass and they have a good idea and the script is good, and they've got the cool Tron action we all love. I think it could be great. But, you know, it's been 10 years since Tron Legacy. Um, but, I, dude, I'm, I, I have to admit, I, I got my little tw Tron twinge up. My, the goodness of Tron. I, I want to see it. Yeah, Why they never not? made anything again like it until, what year was it? Like 1984 or 1985? Remember they did that show, Auto Man? Oh yeah! Do you remember the show? That was clearly a Tron ripoff. Total I mean Tron ripoff. <laughs> you know, I you know what's, what's funny now that Tron. I mean, the other movie that came out two years after Tron was the Last Starfighter. That was the big other CGI movie where they actually did something different. Rather than the computer world, they're in the real world, and they're talking about remaking that now. Which dude, is dude, is the Last crazy. Starfighter is a, is a is one that should have been remade years ago. I, I am know, desperately right? waiting for a Last Starfighter. Sir, anyway, the Armada. Oh, what do we do now? We die. All right, guys. Question is for you. What do you think about this announcement? Are you surprised? I, I got to admit, I'm kind of surprised. Are you surprised by this news? What do you think about the fact that they're getting Jared Leto starting it? Do you think this is kind of an indication that they're going to be going in a new direction? Maybe it's a reboot. Maybe it's not. What do you guys think? Jump into the comments section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. With all that down and out of the way, let's now move into our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campy Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them by going anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. Submit it. It's totally free. And then maybe, just maybe... You might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one. And the first main topic today gets submitted to us by Adam V, who writes, Greetings and salutations. Well, greetings, Adam. I know Rob is going nuts, waiting for Dune, and so are all of my friends. This little bit that came out isn't helping. According to the art director of the film, this new Dune movie is on the level of Lord of the Rings. My question is, isn't comparing this new movie to one of the greatest series of films of all time a little too ambitious and maybe setting us up for disappointment? Thanks. All right, dude. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And yes, of course, one of the movies, Rob, I know right up there with you know, uh, James Bond, No Time to Die, Dune and, and the Bond film have got to be, I believe, your two most anticipated films of this year, if we're going to get them this year. Oh, yeah. But Dune, of course, is the one that's gotten a lot of talk. Of course, you got one of the hottest directors in the world in Denis Villeneuve. You've got an incredible cast, celebrated source material that has not had the best of luck as of yet. Not the best of luck when it comes to doing its own live action adaptation. Anyway, we talked the other day about how the director has been mentioning he is racing towards the finish line, desperately trying to get this film done on time. Well, now we're hearing a little bit of comments coming out about it. Again, this is from the art director of the film, a guy named Brown who writes, 
I think what Denis Villeneuve is doing is what's called a seminal version of this story. I don't think it will be topped. To be perfectly honest, Brown said, the sheer scale of it is going to be daunting. But I do think it's going to be extremely special. I heard in the paper the other day that they're looking at the new Lord of the Rings, and I firmly believe that. I think it's going to be up there with those kinds of films, really. The first thing I got to say is take these comments with the giant grain of salt that this (laughs) is coming from somebody involved in the movie. All right, let's not lose sight of that, okay? It's coming from somebody involved in the movie. What is he supposed to say? This movie sucks. I mean, so we take that with a grain of salt. But Rob, grain of salt or not, to have an experienced Hollywood professional like him coming out and making the bold thing, like we expect everybody who's involved in a movie coming out to say, oh, I think this movie that I have coming out is great. I mean, we expect to hear that from everybody. To have somebody involved in the project come out and say, this is on the level of Lord of the Rings. Normally, my first reaction to that would be, shut the hell up. I mean, come on, Lord of the Rings. But we are talking about one of the most celebrated pieces of literature ever in Dune. We are talking about maybe top two, top three best directors working right now, working today right now. And Denis Villeneuve, we have an incredible cast. It's it's not, to me, the craziest idea that maybe we should pay attention to this. I don't know. But the Rob, the person who's asking the question is right. I mean, high expectations can be a dangerous thing to film fans, right? Because we can go into a movie that in all rights is a pretty good movie. If our expectations are too high going into it, we end up coming out disappointed and sad, even though the movie itself might have been pretty good. Our One of our biggest enemies as fans is high expectations. And this certainly does skyrocket those expectations. Rob, you hear these comments, grain of salt and all that this is somebody who's involved with the movie. But what do you make of his statement? It's a pretty bold statement. Well, I mean, you know, like with Lord of the Rings, the very attempt, if if you're finally making this story with the kind of director that you have and the, the right budget, and now we've got all of the technical wizardry that exists in, in filmmaking today around the world, I, I think that the idea that you're making the, the most seminal version of this movie, it's, Dune has been adapted twice before, once as Lynch's movie and the other as the, the miniseries that was done. But I, I do think that's probably correct that, like, can you can you imagine somebody else making a Lord of the Rings movies? I mean, I can't. You can go do the Second Age, but to go back and try and redo those movies, I think, would be folly because look at what you're following. Um, and I think in the case of Dune, I think the art director could be correct in that this will be the seminal version of the film. And I think it's probably great. The real question is, are people going to go see it? Mm. And And unlike... You know, Lord of the Rings was much more of a family-friendly affair. It was what I would call a four-quadrant movie. The whole Everybody loves Lord of the Rings, young, old, everyone. Dune is a very complex, uh, very intellectual. Yes, it's got action in it, but it's a very thoughtful franchise. And it is very heady, and it is not... It is not like Star Wars. It is not something that if you're eight years old and you go see Dune, I'm sure certain kids might be blown away by it, but I think others are going to be perplexed and bewildered. 
and not quite understanding everything that's going on. So this is a movie for adults, for adult audiences, and I'm hoping that it catches on because they're only making the first half of the first book. Right. And I think I think that what I'm hoping for is to me, this is exactly the kind of science fiction literary adaptation I live for, John. I live for this. I dream of these kinds of movies. But on the other hand, are people going to go? And I will say this. Ten years ago, I would have been really dubious. But now we've had very we've had Game of Thrones, which is a very adult, very politically minded fantasy epic. I think the time is right because audiences, we've received some very sophisticated uh, genre entertainment. And I think now, I think audiences are primed. I think audiences are in the best position they could ever be to embrace something like this. So I have high hopes, man. And I, I'm i one of those people where my expectations are, they're at spinal tap. They're at 11. <laughs> it's and, 11. Uh, it's, they're up to 11, man. And I hope it's great. I really don't. Uh, what do you think? What do you are you excited about this? Oh, I mean, of course. I, I mean, I've been excited since day one. I mean, you know this. I mean, I remember the first time you and I talked about this. Like we were, I think when uh, you know, I think you might have given me a call or something, and we were talking about it. And like, obviously, when you look at who's directing it, that has a lot to do with it, right? Yeah, and you're like, a fan. You're a big Denis Villeneuve fan. I, I am, and I I am actually one of the few fans of the miniseries uh, that they did. I actually got a kick out of the miniseries. Yeah, me too. But, it was very theatrical. Yeah, but there—I mean, there are a lot of directors that I like very much. That if they announce Dune with this person directing, I—I I don't know. He is the guy to direct this. I think, yeah, especially I when you when you take the sensibilities. I mean, I know they seem like very, very different, very different movies. But look at Prisoners. If you know the story of Dune, and then you look at Prisoners, and then you look at Arrival. To the Denis, and you you understand that the guy who made this yeah. and this taking on this source material, it is. I hate saying it's a match made in heaven because I believe you know any movie can be made by any director as long as they're talented and all that kind of stuff. But it really does look like from the very blueprint of this that this is something that God designed for Denis Villeneuve to direct. You know what I mean? It just it just feels like destiny. But I mean, you raised a good question about will anybody come to see it? We're not going to know the answer to that till the till the trailers come out. We got to see what their approach to the marketing is going to be. If they, because look, I'm going to tell you right now, I believe they're going to take a, an approach to the marketing on this that I believe some Dune purists may not appreciate, and that's fine. Because remember, the marketing is there to sell the movie. I believe when they come out and market this thing. I believe they're going to take the – they are going to highlight the adventure. They're going to highlight the visual effects. They're going to show off the technology. They're going to show off the stars of this movie. They're going to do a lot of that traditional stuff, and if they do it right, they can bring in the mass audience. I don't know if Dune purists are going to appreciate that, which is understandable. But if they can hook people in, Rob, with those first trailers, I think well, we could be in for a big hit. I think one of the things this movie has going for, I mean, I, as you know, I read the script and I thought the script was fantastic. But one of the things that I think is what I love the most is the portrayal of Baron Harkonnen that Stellan Skarsgård plays. Yep. And the way he's written, and I, I don't even know, I, I can't even imagine what he's going to look like because, you know, he's corpulent, disgusting, flies around like in Lynch's version. But the way he's portrayed, if all they showed in the trailer, was Stellan Skarsgård as Baron Harkonnen saying his lines, ranting and raving, I'd be like, oh, I, I got to see that. 
but then when you think about the rest of the cast, the cast in this movie is insane. Yeah. It has one of the greatest casts ever. And if you just cut to these people saying their lines, I'm like, I'm in. You know, I mean, and like you said, I think they are going to do exactly what you said in the trailer, but they also can fall back to all these badass actors just saying shit that's in that script. And you're going to be like, oh, I got to see that (laughs) question is, guys, what do you these are big, big words for the art director to come out and say this this film is going to be on the level of Lord of the Rings. Uh, them is big words. Do you think they can possibly live up to that? Do they only have to come close? Where's your expectation level right now for Dune? Jump down to the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down and out of the way, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets sent in to us by Greg Meacham. And Greg Meacham writes the following. I am very excited for DC fandom. I'm sure a lot of people are right now, very much. I'm very excited for DC fandom. Um, And I lost my place. There we are. I'm very excited for DC fandom. I know Comic-Con at home didn't go off very well, but this just feels more streamlined and integrated. Anyway, I saw the reports on the guest list, and I was shocked to see that Henry Cavill was not going to appear. To me, he's sort of the embodiment of the DCEU. And listen, man, you're not alone in that. You're not the only person who feels like he's kind of the embodiment of the DCEU. Anyway, he's sort of the embodiment of the DCEU. I know he doesn't have any new movies coming, but why not appear to talk about Snyder Cut since, you know, he was with Zack Snyder when it was announced in the first place. All right. True words, my friend. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And yes, so this brought up a lot of conversation. The guest list got released for DC Phantom. Now, again, on the one hand, I, I I heard some people talking about this online that their enthusiasm for DC Phantom dropped after Comic-Con at home because, you know, it's just a bunch of a lot of pre-recorded stuff. You're just, they could have just dropped it on YouTube instead of gathering it together. But I agree with you. I feel like this whole DC Phantom thing that they're doing is more well thought out and does feel more integrated. And... I think one of the things you can hang your hat on is that I believe they probably now had the opportunity to watch what happened at Comic-Con at home, see what worked, see what didn't work, and now they can benefit from those lessons learned. A couple of big things about names appearing, you know, Val Kilmer is going to be one of the guests there, which is kind of cool. But the name, Rob, the name that was not there was Henry Cavill. So clearly, Henry Cavill is not going to be there. However, Rob, I want to propose the following. Put on your tinfoil hat with me for a moment, (laughs) and let's go for a ride. Let me be very clear about this. What I'm about to say was not given to me by any insider information, okay? So this is not fact. I have not been told this by anybody involved at DC or at Warner Brothers or anything. Okay, let me just be clear about that. I'm talking what I am deducing here, okay? So it could be true, could not be true, but I want to give you my thoughts on this and why I'm thinking what I'm thinking. I believe the only rational explanation is that Henry Cavill is going to be there and that they are keeping his appearance a secret for the announcement, a surprise announcement 
of a Henry Cavill Superman project. Whether that is a standalone Superman film or that he is going to be <clears throat> appearing in Black Adam or he's going to be appearing in Flat, whatever it is, I believe that the reason they have not announced Henry Cavill is because he's his is going to be a surprise appearance in conjunction with the announcement of a Superman project, whether it's Superman being involved in another project or getting his own standalone film. Let me break down why I believe this. All right, let's go over to the Campia classroom for a second here. Okay. <laughs> Henry Cavill. <laughs> Henry Cavill, Superman. All right. And, and, and let me follow me here. Follow me here. And then let me uh, no, we of course, uh, Henry Cavill hasn't been Superman. There are those reports that they have parted ways. This is a few years ago when asked about it, when directly asked, hey, Warner Brothers, are you still going to have Henry Cavill as Superman? What was their answer? Uh, as of right now, we have no future plans for Superman, but we love working with Henry Cavill. It was the worst non-answer in non-answer history. It was <laughs> terrible. But a couple of things I want us to point out here. On November 19th of 2019, November 19th of 2019, okay? In an interview with Men's Health Magazine, Health? <laughs> Men's Health, my typing is horrible. In Men's Health Magazine, Henry Cavill said the following, the cape is still in the closet, right? Now, all that really told us at the time, back in November of 2019, was that Henry himself has not given up on the idea of playing Superman, right? We still had the haunting words of Warner Brothers saying, we currently have no plans for Superman, but we love working with Henry. But still, November 19th, 2019, Henry says in Men's Health Magazine, the, the cape is still in the closet. Okay, now let's fast forward to May 20th of 2020. Zack Snyder is doing a Man of Steel watch-along, right? And who does Zack Snyder have on with him? Henry Cavill is on that Man of Steel watch-along. I mean, he is the Man of Steel. But what May 20th, 2020 is going to be more remembered for is not that they did a Man of Steel watch-along. It was the Zack Snyder uh, Justice League going to HBO Max announcement, right? That's what May 20th, 2020 is going to be remembered for. And who was on screen with Zack and Deborah Snyder when they made the announcement about man about uh, Zack Snyder's Snyder cut of Justice League going to HBO Max? It was Henry Cavill. Okay, so Henry Cavill was there. November 20, November nineteenth, he says the closet is still in the cape. The closet is the cape is still in the closet. <laughs> the cape is still in the closet. All right, on May twentieth, the announcement comes, and who's there with Zack Snyder? Henry Cavill was there. Okay, let's fast forward now to May twenty seventh. Okay. On May 27th, the major trades all report that Cavill is in talks with Warner Brothers to um, return, let's say, as Superman. Okay, so on May 27th, a week later, all the major trades, Variety, Hollywood Reporter, Deadline, are reporting that Henry Cavill is in talks with Warner Brothers to return as Superman. They were saying at the time, though... That it is not for a standalone Superman movie or anything like that, but it's going to be to appear in other people's films as a supporting character. Okay. And Rob, I still remember the day they talked about that. We said, that seems kind of weird. At any rate, so that was May 27th. All right. Let's now go two days later to May 29th, 2020. On the John Campia show, I told you, um, I told you that I had been told by two separate sources, although 
there was some slightly different information between the two sources that I got. Basically, they both agreed that the, the sources that talked to me is that Warner Brothers was giving J.J. Abrams Superman. However, you can't take that to the bank because I also got some conflicting information between those two sources. To be, to be honest with you, there was some conflicting information. One of them said, though, that J.J. wants Henry as Superman for a standalone Superman movie. The other person said that if J.J.'s got an open slate, he could take anybody as Superman. So don't take that. And I said on the show, don't take that to the bank because I'm getting conflicting information from two different sources. But there was that kind of talk out there. Now let's fast forward a little bit more to July. Now, this is this is bigger than you might think. On July 16th of 2020. All right. This may seem like nothing, but I'm telling you, I think it's something major. Henry Cavill, which will go down as a day in infamy, builds a gaming PC. Remember that? Rob, did you see that video? Yep. Of Henry Cavill? Henry Uh, Cavill. That Star Wars girl said her womb exploded when she watched it. That's right. I remember one of the the, um, uh, headlines on one of the sites was actually said, Henry Cavill builds PC in muscle shirt, thousands impregnated. Uh, I mean, I remember that was basically one of the things, but, but here's, here's why I actually think this is actually important. Follow me here. Here's a picture of me and Henry. All right. This is a couple years ago uh, at Comic-Con. You can tell by looking down at his arm closest to the screen. He's a big dude, right? He's a, he's a big dude. That is clear. But that was just a couple years ago. This was, it's hard to tell just from one still picture. You have to go and watch the video. The amount of muscle Henry Cavill has put on is daunting. It's, uh, this is a bad angle for his arms, but I'm telling you, his arms are significantly bigger than they've ever been. Also, the thickness from his back to the, to the front of his chest is thicker than it's ever. His shoulders are bigger than they have ever been. John, what's the point? He is working out like crazy. And I believe tinfoil hat and all, that's another sign he's preparing for Superman. He's preparing to put the cape back on again. I believe this is him preparing to put the cape back on again. A lot of big physical muscular actors will sometimes try to trim down for other roles because sometimes their sheer mass doesn't make them the best candidates for other types of roles. Henry Cavill is clearly working the F out like mad. And I now again, I think any one of these things on their own, maybe not all that convincing, but November 19th, he says the Cape's stolen closet. November 20th, he's on the announcement of Snyder Cut going to HBO Max with Zack Snyder. So why the hell wouldn't he be there at DC Fandom to talk about it with Snyder when other people are? The 27th, the major trades report that he's in talks to maybe do something. On the 29th, I told you about the J.J. Abrams things. And July 16th, we get a good glimpse of him building this PC. And he is yoked beyond what he has ever been. Now, some people may say, but John... (laughs) What about Ben Affleck? Ben's not announced. Ben's not going to be there. They're, well, I mean, I think the Ben, I think the Ben Affleck situation is clearly a very different situation. Uh, there are there's a lot more moving parts and and baggage and everything that goes along with Ben. I don't think Ben not being there is any kind of a surprise. 
I, I don't think that's any kind of a surprise. That's not to say it's impossible that he could make a surprise appearance too, but I'm just saying when you consider all those pieces of evidence, it is shocking that they're not saying Henry Cavill's going to be there. It's not so shocking that they're saying that uh, that they're saying Ben's not going to be there. So I believe those are two different situations entirely. So again, let me make this very, very clear in case I didn't make it clear enough before. I am the recipient of no insider information. I have not been fed info by anybody at Warner Brothers or DC saying, hey, John, just so you know, Henry is going to be there. He's going to make an announcement. None of that is there. This is my own deduction of the facts that we have in front of us, okay? Purely my own speculation. Could be right, could be wrong. But I'm telling you, I believe that Henry Cavill is going to appear at this thing and they will make a surprise. It's going to be one of those, oh, just one more thing, everybody. And they bring out Henry Cavill. Hey, guys, sitting there in his tank top making another PC. Just, you know, I'm going to be appearing in the Flash movie with, uh, you know, with all my new muscles and everything. Or maybe they're going to announce a new a Man of Steel 2. Who knows? But, Rob, that's what I'm deducing. Granted, I fully admit, Rob, this is me putting on the tinfoil hat. This is me pulling a lot of strings. I understand. But, Rob, you see that Henry, Henry Cavill not being at DC Fandom. It just makes no sense to me, especially when you consider everything's going. Rob, what do you think about this little conspiracy theory of mine? Do you think Henry actually is not going to be and it is exactly as it appears to be? Or are you putting on the tinfoil hat with me and you think there's going to be some kind of surprise? What do you think? I'm with you. Um, I, I think that, you know, they've they've come to we've definitely seen, uh, especially when it comes to superhero projects. You know, ever since Tom Hiddleston stepped out and stayed uh, on the stage in Hall H dressed as Loki in full costume, I, I've always been thinking in the back of my mind, specifically when it comes to comic book related properties, th there's a bit of showmanship that has been started. And it, it was like having Henry Cavill show up for that announcement of the Snyder Cut. That wasn't something that was expected or, or announced. And I think they've realized the power in all of this. Um, after all, this whole DC fandom event or fandom event is all about generating. It's all a giant marketing ploy, and I think it's great. I think it's it's great for their brand. I think it's great for what they're doing. And just like Justice Con, which was a fan-run convention, got more views than Comic-Con at home, I think this DC event is going to be huge for them. I think they've been marketing it well. I think everybody's excited for it. And I think they're going to need to drum up excitement by doing exactly this. And I mean, what I like about it is it positions, it basically says in a subtle way, if this happens, that Superman is still the crown jewel. When we're, when we're going to bring in a special guest, it's going to be Henry Cavill. And I would imagine that they will finally announce there's never been a movie called just Superman. There's been Superman the movie and Superman 2 and Superman 3 and Superman 4, but there's never been Superman just Superman. And I, I think... That's what they're going to announce. I think they will announce that, like you said. I think it'll be a big deal. It'll probably be, I don't know if it'll be a J.J. Abrams thing or not, but um, I kind of hope not. But I, I, I think, why not? I mean, we're getting, when it comes to DC and after the Snyder Cut was announced, to me, all bets are off. And, mm. you know, he uh, Zack Snyder dropped that picture of Steppenwolf this weekend, which looks way better than the Steppenwolf we got in the finished Justice League movie. And I'm like, they know what they're they're having. I think no one is having more fun right now than Warner Brothers 
uh, now with the Snyder Cut happening and Wonder Woman 84 coming out and all this stuff happened, the, the Pattinson Batman, they're having, they're having a ball. And I think, why not? Because it's all free. How many impressions do they get on the internet when these things happen? Millions? It's marketing like they've never seen before. I agree. Now, listen, I, I also want to point out, too, some people are making a, 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 some, a semi-valid point. There are some people reminding want to remind me in the live chat that, hey, John, don't forget. I mean, he Henry Cavill was this Geralt of Rivia, right? He was really big in that. Yeah, he was, but he wasn't as big as he was in that PC building picture. He was not that big in Witcher season one. Um, so again, but again, listen, this is all speculation. Make no mistake about it. This is all speculation on my point. I, I just, again, it seems really odd to me that you'd have Henry Cavill there for the announcement of the HBO Max event, but not have him there on a panel to talk about it. That seems very, very odd. And, you know, the, all the other things put together. The que And I'm sure you guys are going to bring up more of these questions. I'm sure we're going to talk more about this once we get into the live questions part of the show. But for now, let me ask you guys, what do you think? As a matter of fact, I decided to make that the topic of today's question of the day. Just before we started the show, I jumped into our community tab on the YouTube channel there. And I posed the question to you guys. And I simply asked... Question of the day, Henry Cavill is not listed as a guest at the upcoming DC fandom, despite the fact that he was with Zack Snyder when they announced that Justice League Snyder Cut was coming to HBO Max. Do you think he's really not appearing, or do you think it's a setup for a surprise appearance and Superman-related announcement? I got to tell you, I'm surprised. Right now, a little over 3,000 of you guys have already voted on this. I thought it'd be closer to 50-50. 34% of you are saying, John... Tinfoil hat, dude. Tinfoil hat. Come on. It's as simple as he can't make it, so they said he's not going to be there. He's not going to be there. To my surprise, though, 66% of you seem to be buying my tinfoil hat theory that, yes, he is going to be there, and they're going to make some kind of surprise announcement. I again, I don't know, but that's where we're at right now. 66% of you saying, yes, he's going to be there. 34% of you are saying, no, he's not. We're going to leave that poll up there again. It's in the community tab of the YouTube channel. By the way, you should be subscribed to the YouTube channel, guys. Make sure you click on that subscribe button, become a subscriber to the channel. Uh, so go on in there. In the meantime, guys, for those of you here now, just jump down into the comment section and let me know what you guys think. All right. With that down, guys, let's get on to our third and final main topic today. And our third and final main topic today gets submitted to us by our friend Ronnie Shama. And Ronnie Shama writes the following. Hey, John, I've been watching since Man of Steel. I, it's always surprised me how many people have said they started watching me with the Man of Steel review. It's always crazy. Uh, with the new ruling on studios being allowed to own theaters, I know you said on open mic that you don't think Disney, Paramount, or Warner Brothers are interested in the exhibition business, but what about Universal? Uh, they've been trying to cut out the middleman theaters ever since the pandemic started. What are your thoughts? And keep the filthy shielded with a mask. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And listen, one of the bigger pieces of news over the past couple of days that is really more insider baseball. It's more industry stuff than it is the flash of the celebrities and what's the next big movie. But it has been, it's a huge issue. And we started talking about this, Rob, last year when they were saying they were bringing this to the court to have the Paramount cons Consent Decrees, which has been around since 19, was it 48? Was, is that when they were initiated? I think it might have been 48. Yeah. 
that they are going to be struck down. And a couple of days ago, it became official. The Paramount consent decrees have been struck down. Now, a lot of people ask the Paramount what? And to a number of other people, the oversimplification of it has been, oh, that means that studios can own movie theaters. Studios' ability to own movie theaters is a part of what the Paramount consent decrees, which was a law, those laws that were passed. Studios being able to own movie theaters was part of that. But I would argue not even the most important part of it. Now, let's get you guys caught up here for a second. For those of you who don't know what they are, so forgive me, but we're going to jump back into the Campia classroom for a second here. So basically, from the 1930s uh, through to the 1940s and the end of the 1940s, you basically had a studio system that had a total monopoly, although it was multiple companies, a total monopoly on the entertainment industry. You had MGM, you had uh, you had Fox, you had um, uh, R, I believe it was RKO Radio Pictures, uh, that later I believe got acquired by Universal at some point. And anyway, they were one of the big. You don't hear of them anymore, but they were one of the big guys. You had Warner Brothers, and who was the fifth? Twentieth uh, Century Fox. Oh, and you, of course, you had Paramount, right? So you had these five bodies, these five studios that basically had a controlling interest over everything. What they were basically able to do was they were able to the theater that these studios could own theaters. Uh, they could do uh, block booking. We'll talk about block booking in a second. And they were able to enforce regional exclusivity. Regional exclusivity. Now, these were real problems for antitrust when it came to the government. Because basically what happened was with theaters being able to own what was called the vertical market, right? They were able to own the verticals. We produce the content and we're in control of, of the distribution of the content and we're in control of the exhibition of that content. That caused some real anti-competitive problems. So at some point, the government stepped in and said, we need to do something about this. And they passed these laws which blocked the practice of block booking. And again, we'll talk about block booking in just a second. Block booking is, is really, really important here. Block booking is very important. We're going to stop the regional exclusivity, and that's important too. We're going to talk about that in a second. And we hereby command all of you studios, MGM, Fox, RKO, uh, Warner Brothers, uh, Paramount, we hereby command you guys to divest yourselves of your theater ownership. So that's what they did. They have divested themselves of their theater ownership. Okay. So now we fast forward to modern times, and it came out that the government was saying, the, the Department of Justice was saying, the Paramount Decrees, which came out lifetimes ago, is antiquated now. It doesn't really fit. There's no real need for it today. So they have just struck it down. Now, it should be noted that like in the 1990s, um, I believe Sony owned movie theaters. They owned, uh, I believe they owned Lowe's. I think they owned the Lowe's movie theaters. I think Warner Brothers owned uh, some... Uh, uh, some international theaters, I believe. So I, I don't know how that was allowed while the Paramount decrees were still in place, but there was some movie, movie studios owning movie theaters as it was anyway. Okay, so now they've struck it down. So the question becomes, why worry? We're seeing some people online really worried about 
this whole thing about the government striking down these paramount decrees. Why are people worried? Okay. The first thing is this. Let's talk about ownership. Theater ownership. If Disney can own a movie theater, let's say Disney, for argument's sake, Rob, let's say Disney buys AMC theaters, right? That's now their theater. That's their theater. They can, if that happens, they can now start to overcharge other studios' movies to play in their theaters because it's their theaters. They can give their own movies a competitive advantage. Hell, if they wanted to, they could just not play Paramount's movies in their studios. Hey, hey, this is our this is our theater. We don't have to play a Paramount movie in our theater. We don't have to play a Warner Brothers movie in our theater if we don't want to. You know, all that kind of stuff. So part of the fear is becoming that if Disney owns the entire vertical from creation, distribution, and now the exhibition, the fear is going to be that you could get theaters being owned by studios, and then we start to get into real regional problems. The regional problems are the key thing for a lot of people. Because let's say you only live within, like me, I, I don't have another movie theater that's not an AMC within 10 miles of where I live. Outside of 10 miles, I got a bunch. I got the Arc Light. I got some Regals. But I don't have an AMC, I don't have another movie theater within 10 miles of me other than AMC theaters. Well, what happens if Warner Brothers has Black Adam come out? I can't go to any of my local theaters to see it because, well, sorry, these are Disney-owned theaters. You got to go to the Warner Brothers-owned theaters. So that becomes a fear as well. Now, what I have always said is that this is a non- issue right now. I believe theater ownership by studios is not an issue right now, mainly because I don't believe in any world or any reality are studios interested in owning movie theaters right now. Owning movie theaters today is very different than it was in 1950s. It is a cutthroat, minimum margin, high risk uh, kind of endeavor that they would much rather have other people doing than them doing it themselves. And, you know, I was reading an article on Deadline, Rob, where they were basically affirming that the Deadline uh, reporters were talking to some some industry insiders say, yeah, none of the studios have any interest in acquiring studios, in acquiring theaters, I should say. That's not to say that that couldn't change, but hey, it is what it is. Okay, let's see worry number two. Worry number two is about, is about block booking. And Rob, I think you're going to agree with me that this is probably the true biggest worry. This is the true yeah. biggest worry. <clears throat> what block booking is, is basically this. Let's say Disney has Avengers 5, right? Now, what happens normally, what has happened is Disney, as their own distributor, goes to the movie theaters and they negotiate with the theaters about the terms of releasing their movie Avengers 5 in theaters. It can be everything from you have to agree to a minimum seven-week run. You have to agree to giving up 100% of the box office for the first three days. It could be, you know, a bunch of different terms and agreements that you can put in there. But the thing is, the key is, is that you negotiate on a per-film basis. That's what it has been under the Paramount decrees. You negotiate for that one movie. And then you make other deals for other movies. What block booking is, is Disney comes to the theaters and says, oh, you want Avengers 5? Cool. You have to take these seven other movies too. Basically, Disney could have the power 
to go to Regal and say, okay, you want to show Avengers 5 in your theaters? Cool. But uh, let me tell you what. We've got Artemis Fowl 2, 3, 4, and 5 coming. Uh, we bought the rights to meet Joe Black, the revenge, or meet, not meet Joe Black, uh, meet Joe Dirt, Joe Dirt, the revenge parts two and three. And uh, we, we're decided we're going to do, I, I don't know, we're going to make a new Polly Shore detective drama. And we're making all these movies. If you want Avengers five, you also have to agree to take these seven other movies and you have to agree to take them. With a minimum of five months or a five-week booking in your theaters and blah, 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 blah. That is something that the studios used to do to the movie theaters back in the 1930s and is one of the main reasons. See, everybody's focusing on, oh, studios can own theaters. The main thing, the main worry was this whole practice of block booking. And under the law, studios were not allowed to do that anymore. Well, why is this an issue? You know, who cares? If they do block booking and those movies are going to come out anyway, think about this. Think about small studios like, I don't know, um, A24, right? Let's say small studios like A24. Well, they've got a little movie called, uh, I don't know, My Dad's Ghost. Okay. That sounds like a movie A24 would make. <laughs> Let's say they're making a movie called My Dad's Ghost. It's a smaller film, whatever, right? Hey, AMC Burbank 16 has 16 screens. There's room out there for A24 to put out My Dad's Ghost. But guess what? Everything's blocked. AMC has to go to A24 and say, uh, you know what? We, 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 we would love to play my dad's ghost, but we made a commitment three months ago when we put out Avengers that we were going to take, you know, uh, Artemis Fowl 2, 3, and 4, completing the great trilogy, the quadrilogy of Artemis Fowl coming out and, and our screens are booked. Our screens are booked. We have no room. That was kind of the main concern. That is that it would be an unfair unfair advantage of the big studios over the small ones. It's an unfair advantage. Man, I'm terrible at trying to type while I'm doing this at the same time. Unfair advantage of doing of for the big studios or suddenly the small studios are getting pushed out of the theaters altogether and they got nowhere to exhibit their movies anymore. So that became a problem. One of the other big ones, Rob, sight unseen bookings. This is a big one. What happens now is that let's say Disney wants to put out Artemis Fowl 2 in theaters. Okay. They go to Regal, they go to AMC, they go to Cinemark and they meet with their individual representatives and they say, by the way, here's our movie. And they have to show them the movie. So now the Cinemark guy, the booker for Cinemark, he has seen the movie. He knows how good or bad it is. He can make his own determination about how do I think this will perform? Do I think this will bring people out? And okay, we'll agree. So before entering into negotiations about how much cut of the box office gets taken, about how many weeks they're going to do, he's at least now seen the movie and they can negotiate on good faith. Guess what? Without the Paramount decrees, studios don't have to show the theaters, the movies first. Studios can now go to the movie theaters and say, we want you to book Artemis Fowl 2. And they say, oh, okay, interesting. Before we negotiate the terms, can we see the movie? Nope. Nope. You just have to trust us. It's good. It's going to win all the awards. It's going to win them all. Just trust us. 
we can't we can't negotiate good faith if we haven't seen the movie just trust us it's great the paramount decrees actually mandated that studios had to show the exhibitors the movies first and now that's gone there are some other things in here too but i don't want this to go on too long basically so why would they strike this down well the justice department is suggesting here rob what the justice department is saying is that and what the court agreed with them on is that times are different now than when those rules were implemented for instance they wanted to stop studios from having a complete ownership of the vertical right from production distribution and exhibition what the court is arguing right now is that hey listen with with a lot of streaming going on today studios already own verticals Disney owns the production of their movies, the distribution of their movies, and exhibition when it comes to Disney+. Plus. So, like, times are different. Plus, we're not really worried that movie theaters want to come in and own. So, basically, the Justice Department has said, we don't feel that these antiquated laws are really protecting anybody from anything anymore because times have changed. I agree with that with theater ownership. Um, but I disagree on a couple of other levels. I do think block booking could become a, a real problem. Because ultimately that robs us as fans. Rob, take that movie. What what was that one with Aquafina uh, about her grandmother? Um, the one that was just the darling last year. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, oh, something the good the goodbye, saying goodbye, yeah, or, or the or the farewell. The farewell is what it was called. We never would have seen if there was a, if there was mass block booking. We never would have seen the farewell. There wouldn't have been screens for it. And so I think that is a problem. I think the sight unseen thing is a problem, but. It might be, Rob, listen, we are talking about worst case scenario, though. It right. very well could be that the Justice Department may be right, and these won't really be an issue anymore. Like, we don't think, there's so much competition out there now, because now it's not just five studios. There's so much competition now, the Justice Department says, that there's not really a danger of us getting a monopoly again. And maybe they're right. This might turn out to be nothing. I remember when, when I was working at AMC and the Chinese company Wanda bought us when I was there, we were all worried. Oh, what's this going to change? It turned out it didn't change anything. Like, we're, literally, I wouldn't have even known that we were owned by a Chinese company had I not read it in the news. Like, nothing changed. Maybe nothing changes here. Rob, this is a significant piece of news with the Paramount uh, consent decrees being struck down. What do you see as the significance of this? And, and what do you think maybe are some fears that we should keep our eye on as we move forward? Well, I think you did a great job of, of breaking it all down. Um, again, you know, that the, the idea that are our, our, the studios going to suddenly jump into exhibition. Now, that's a tall order. And, and I think that now, if there's ever a time that it could happen during this pandemic, obviously movie theaters are not exactly, especially domestic movie theaters, aren't in the best shape. And if there's a time for a takeover, now would be the time. But the real question is, there's also the, the flip side. Um, in terms of vertical integration, we're now seeing a seismic shift happening in terms of like Mulan going direct to Disney+. Plus. I mean, the studios, we're moving into to waters where exhibition as we know it could change drastically over the next couple of years. I mean, this is going to be a sea change that I could see. Uh, we, we're, we might be in a rapid evolutionary shift right now. And I don't really think that the studios at this point are interested in jumping in and buying theater chains. I just don't see it happening. So... I don't think the decrees are, are – it's going to be a worst-case scenario now because 
if anything, we've got the studios doing the exact opposite. They're like, huh, how can we figure out how to not have movie theaters altogether? You know, we're going to we're going to debut films on our streaming platforms, which is really their long term goal anyway. I mean, Disney, no more physical media. Why go to movie theaters? I mean, why not control their own direct distribution and cut out the middleman entirely, which is a direction I think that they're heading in. So I don't really think that rescinding these decrees is going to affect that much in the long run, because right now exhibitors are fighting for their very existential lives and they're facing a, a they are facing an existential threat. So I don't think we have to worry too much. But but assuming this goes away and and movie theaters are suddenly acquired by Disney or Amazon or whomever. What you were describing could very well come to pass. Uh, there could be a lot of bad practices, but I just don't see that happening. I think right now we should be more worried and focused on whether movie theaters are going to come back, whether we're going to have the kind of exhibition we all know and love. Well, that all and depends on how quickly we get past this pandemic. I know. I know. And and frankly, you know, I don't think I, I don't think movie studios, I I hope. Because what's going to happen is when you have AMC, their job is to to provide – they teamed up with Dolby. They gave us AMC theater, the Dolby theaters that are awesome. You know, you want a company whose job is dedicated to the, the, the idea of showing films. Movie studios are like – they're too – they should make movies. You know, I'd rather have companies like AMC that were spending $5 billion to upgrade their theaters and give people the best experience they can have because that's their one job. And I hope that that stays the same because, I mean, as much as Disney might be in the in the service, you know, they, they do great with their theme parks. But do they really – do we really want Disney controlling movie theaters too? I don't know, man. See, here's the other big thing, too. You got to remember, with Disney as a specific example, Disney is not in the position to make any major acquisitions right now. They just spent over half their liquid value acquiring Fox. Yep. And they've taken a huge financial hit with the pandemic as well. So Disney's not really in the place to make. But I've been reading, Rob, I've been reading in places like The Wrap and Deadline and others. You know, Netflix for the last couple of years has been very, very interested in getting a physical brick and mortar presence in movie theaters and owning movie theaters. Amazon, we know, is at least in a curious way interested in buying movie theaters. I, I you know, we talked before, I have no doubt that there is a possibility that Amazon could end up owing AMC. You know, it could be Amazon movie cinemas is what AMC right. is going to stand for moving forward. Right. And that that could be interesting because you see these companies, these new companies, that's the interesting thing, Rob. It's these new cutting edge companies like Netflix, like Amazon, they seem to have more interested in getting into the physical space of movie theater ownership than the old model companies like Disney or Warner Brothers or whatever. And I, it could be interesting. I have to tell you, I could see that because as Netflix makes movies more like the old guard that become, you know, the old, let's say the old guard, the Irishman, they've announced that $200 million action film with the Russo brothers. Netflix. Why would why wouldn't they put that in movie theaters first? If it's a, if the if Amazon controls their entire pipeline, you know they they would get the the added benefit of of getting these big because the old guard was a movie that we would all have paid to go see. That would have been a summer movie that we would have gone to the theater to see, 
and and why wouldn't they want to they get that and it still gets to be put on their streaming service if it made sense i mean if 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 netflix could get some of that disney cheddar from last year you know they they might not have an end game but eventually they might they've announced they're looking for the next star wars the next harry potter and if they come up with that why not show it in theaters first yeah i could see that happening all right the question here is guys you know, granted, the whole Paramount, you know, consent decrees is a little bit inside baseball. It's more industry based, all kind of stuff. But it is kind of fascinating. What do you guys think about this? Do you think there should be fears, some legitimate worries moving forward? Do you think the Justice Department is right? It's like, listen, times have changed too much. These laws are a little bit antiquated. Either way, it is a major piece of legislation in the history of Hollywood that has now been struck down. What do you guys think about it? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With all that down, we're now going to move into the main live questions that you guys have been sending in. You guys have been sending in a bunch of live questions and comments already. Once again, if you want to get a live question or comment, then simply go to the tip link in the top of the description of this video. There should be streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. Again, you'll be getting your question or comment on the show, and you'll be supporting the channel at the same time. All right, guys. Let's get into it. We got one that we missed. I missed one from the near the end of last show. Uh, we did... We did the one from Bojax, but I accidentally skipped over this one from Dangerous Lee. So guess, let's get to that one right now. Dangerous Lee writes, who is a Patreon supporter, by the way. Thank you for being a Patreon supporter, Dangerous Lee. Hello again, John. Recently rewatched 2017's live action Ghost in the Shell. I really like it. Visuals are stunning. I was absorbed by the story. I thought Scarlett Johansson was great in it. P.S. I'm Asian and her casting didn't bother me one bit. You know, I, I thought Ghost in the Shell wasn't bad. It, it wasn't, I didn't think it was great. I didn't think it was great. But I also didn't think it was all that bad. I think a lot of the North American audiences, like, and I think Akira would have suffered the same thing. A lot of the North American audiences just don't get what you're getting with that. Alita Battle Angel, I think, suffered a little bit from that as well. Um, but Rob, I the whole controversy about Scarlett Johansson's casting, I remember the director of the original Akira animation came out and said, well, Akira, or sorry, Akira, the original, uh, the, the director of the original Ghost in the Shell uh, animated movie said, well, you know, she's a robot. We never specified what the ethnicity of the robot was. It is completely acceptable to think that she could have looked like a Caucasian, blah, blah. See, to me, when he came out and said that, I was like, okay, then I'm cool with it. It's fine. I can go and watch this movie and and enjoy and I, again i thought it was okay i didn't think it was great but rob what did you think of ghost in the shell and and now years later what do you think about that casting controversy with her well i thought the movie was okay you know i didn't think there's a lot that happens in especially uh, the japanese anime that that a lot of it's hard to translate because there's i think there's a cultural affection for machines that's sort of inherent to their culture that doesn't always translate to ours. But as far as, I mean, this idea that, that somebody has to be Japanese or somebody has to be Chinese or Korean or Vietnamese, it's such a weird thing. It goes back to the weird identity politics that we have here in, in, in our country. I mean, when you think back, like the, the Clint Eastwood movies, the 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 uh, a fistful of dollars for a few dollars more and uh, good the bad and the ugly those original man with no name movies were based on Japanese films you know Yojimbo Sanjuro and and the, the Japanese they even did a samurai version of Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven 
And I think this idea that I'm sure that the Japanese creators of things like Ghost in the Shell, when somebody in America, when Hollywood wants to make a Ghost in the Shell movie, I'm sure they're delighted by that. Like, it's amazing that an American Hollywood movie would be made out of our manga. And, and everybody understands that in order to get that movie made, it's expensive. You have to have a star. It's not about it's not about social justice or identity politics. It's how many women in Hollywood can we put in a movie that we're going to spend a hundred plus million dollars on that would get worldwide audiences to go see it? I mean, this is just an economic reality of filmmaking. And anybody who's ever made a movie, especially trying to get distribution, the first question is, who is in it? Who's in your movie? Because if you don't have an, uh, somebody who's known, well, that diminishes the power of your movie to get an audience. People are like, I love that Scarlett Johansson. They don't care what movie she's in. They just like her. So they go to see the film. That's the whole idea about putting a star in a film. And I think that movie would not have been made without Scarlett Johansson. Mm, and I think, yeah. is, do we li- is the world a better place that it got made? I think so. I agree. All right, let's move on. Next question here comes to us from Movie Idiot, who writes, Hey, John, have you ever seen the 2005 action movie Unleashed with Morgan Freeman, Bob Hoskins, and Jet Li? Yes. I honestly feel Jet Li did a great job of actually acting uh, of actually acting in this film. What are your thoughts? I No, I, I didn't think he did a great job of acting in the film, and I'm a big Jet Li fan. I became a big Jet Li proponent like, ye- like a long time ago, and I, I think he's fantastic. Ever since I saw him in Lethal Weapon 4, I'm like, this guy needs to be in every movie all the time. <laughs> like I was just, I was huge on him in that. But I, honestly, Unleashed didn't work all that well for me. There's, there's some obviously some great action. Having somebody like the great, you know, late great Bob Hoskins in that was also great. It never, you know, I wouldn't put in my top five favorite Jet Li things personally. But I thought it was that Rob. Did you ever get to see uh, Unleashed? I have never seen Unleashed. I've seen the one though. <laughs> by the way, by the way. Um, you know, I, I worked in a visual effects company for a while. The one was, I believe, the first actual Hollywood movie that we got a contract to do some work on. Wow. We did a little bit of work on the one, as a matter of fact. So there's that. And, and no, it's not all that good. Uh, as it turns out, every movie we ever worked on, other than Sin City, was totally terrible. All right. Let's move on here. Uh, next one. Uh, Shadow Jester writes. Uh, hi, John. Good morning. What do you think of the chances? What do you think are the chances of us down the line getting an MCU Sinister Six miniseries on Disney Plus between three and four? Uh, gives us time to properly develop villains. Good way in- to intro Norman uh, Giancarlo Esposito. Everybody wants Giancarlo Esposito in everything today. It's kind of like like when Lord of the Rings was out. Every movie that was coming out, people would go. Peter Jackson should direct that. Like, it's everything. Right now, everybody wants Giancarlo Esposito because he's awesome. Why not? Or even any spider show on D+. I don't know. I mean, it's possible. But by the way, again, I reject, I wholeheartedly reject this whole notion. And Rob, I know you and I have discussed this before. This whole notion that, oh, you need to have a lot of time. If you're going to have a movie with multiple characters, you need a lot of time to develop each one of those characters before you do them. No, you don't. You know what? Before George Lucas made Star Wars, he didn't need a standalone Han Solo movie. He didn't need a standalone Obi-Wan Kenobi movie. He didn't need a standalone Luke Skywalker movie. And then a standalone Prince. Guess what? He introduced all of those characters in the same movie. And we never felt, boy, that movie really needed more buildup. 
No, it didn't. It's, Guardians of the Galaxy is the one I go to a lot today, right? You By today's standards, people think, well, you can't just do a big team-up movie like Guardians of the Galaxy. You need a standalone Star-Lord movie. You need a standalone Gamora movie. Then you need a standalone Rocket movie. No, you don't. If you do your movie right and you tell your story properly, you can bring in a bunch of different characters into the movie introduce them, establish their dynamic, and get your story going. I, I don't believe you have to do that. Now, 20 or 30 significant characters, maybe that's different. But um, I don't know. I don't. I personally don't see the need for any kind of Sinister Six thing. And I think not only Sony... First of all, Marvel doesn't have the rights to do something Sinister Six right now. That That's just something they don't have the rights to do. And I don't think it's something that Sony... I think Sony is still licking their wounds <laughs> over the Amazing Spider-Man 3... And what they are, Amazing Spider-Man 2, and what they tried to do with Sinister Six. And I think they are still, you know, they're still butthurt over what happened with that. And Disney just doesn't have the rights to do it. So I don't know, Rob, what, what do you think? Do you think there's a chance that we could see something like that? Uh, well, you know, they, uh, they are doing these standalone movies. I mean, if we ever see Morbius, which I really want to see, and and uh, maybe, I, I, but like you said, it's a it's a strange world we live in. It, it, it really it look it really comes down to does somebody have a good idea and can somebody execute on that idea? And 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 I I just can't believe they made a Morbius movie. You know, <laughs> I, I mean I know and it looks good. I'm I like, think it looks I wanna, great. I, I want to see it. And it. You know, it was supposed to have already come out. Like mm. we would. That's another movie that no one talks about. But we were supposed to already get that movie. And I love the trailers for it. I know, I really and I'm like, I've always loved that character. So I, I think again, maybe they're building up to something like that. But but uh, who but it knows? would have to I be mean, a Sony thing, though, right? Like it would, it, it would at yeah, this point, no. it would have to be a Sony thing. Yeah, I think it would have to be. A, it would have to be a Sony unless thing. some and, kind of new deal gets made. But I I don't really see that happening. Yeah. All right, let's move on here. Um, Let's see. Tambula the Spider Monkey writes, I wholeheartedly second uh, the recommendation for Justify. I've had a number of people writing in lately to tell me to try out Justify, which I I, I very much do want to watch. The Timothy Oliphant show. Uh, it has the coolest line ever uttered in it. No spoilers. Oliphant takes a bullet out of his gun and throws it at a guy. He then says the next one will be coming <laughs> A lot faster. Uh, that is a great line. I've never seen the show. I'm telling you what, though. I am down to watch that show. Uh, I do at some point want to get uh, get a chance to go and watch it. I got a few things coming up that I need to get through first. Ann and I are still trying to get through Dark. Um, but I Justified is definitely one that's in my queue. Justified is absolutely one in my queue. Thank you for adding your voice to the recommendations on that, Tumbula. I appreciate it. All right, the Sock writes, watched Air Force One. I really like Air Force One. Watched Air Force One in Jurassic Park for the first time. Also watched the Jack Ryan series, and I've never been so excited for a show to come back. They really knocked it out of the park. I'll tell you what, Rob, I know you and I both, we've both watched the Jack Ryan series. I was extremely impressed with season one. Me too. Like, really impressed with season one and i keep forgetting the name of the actor who plays opposite john krasinski he's in the wire um and uh, the uh, guy who who plays the the uh, wendell, uh, wendell pierce is that his name yeah, yeah he plays the james earl jones uh character that james earl jones played in the movie they and they had a great yes admiral greer they play they have great chemistry together i liked season two I did. I liked season two. I, I didn't like it nearly as much. I didn't feel like they crushed it or knocked it out of the park. Uh, but I, I did like season two. I, I am very curious to see where they go. Where, where Where's your expectation level right now for the Jack Ryan series? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I, I liked season two 
uh, less than season one. And I felt season two was weird because it was like they were trying to sort of adapt Clear and Present Danger, which is my second favorite Jack Ryan movie after Hunt for Red October. And they did some things really well, like they restaged that attack in the streets when they were in the trucks. But then it got a little weird. Like it, it didn't seem as cohesive as – but it was still – Krasinski was great, and at the end, he really got to get his gun on and do some hardcore action, which I thought was cool. But I would like to see—I would like to see it more focused. But I really love him as Jack Ryan, and I love Wendell Pierce. I mean, that guy is great, and I really do like the actors that they employ as either the the quote-unquote villains. They really do a good job of of, and, and they shoot the show on location. It looks great. Um, I just hope it's as well plotted or better plotted than season one or season two. I'm yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, season one being the gold standard, if they okay. can make it better than season one. Yeah. I mean, season oh. two was beneath season one. So, but you know what I love like about season two going to the, to your point about, they just, they bring in some great actors. I yeah. don't know this actor's name. I don't know his name, but the head of the mercenaries that oh, yeah. Jack Ryan employs, he, I love this guy. He's only appeared in a few things that I remember, but he was the villain pick in Jean-Claude Van Damme's Hard Target, which I, I, I think, uh, what's what's the name of the... Um, I, uh, I know I, I know exactly who you're talking about. I see his face, but I oh, yeah, don't know then his name. He was also the replacement for Liam Neeson in Dark Man 2. It's the right. same. It's the same actor. And yeah. I to see him pop up. That's like, oh, my God, that's pick. I just I, I freaked out when I saw it. this is a funny little thing. OK, sorry. We're, we're falling way behind here. Let's keep going. Um, Piv Pivik U writes, um, is Disney ready for the world illegally downloading Mulan a few hours after it is released on Disney Plus or possibly hours or days before it's officially released? What can Disney do to blunt the effects of piracy to Mulan's streaming revenues? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, it is the same issue to a lesser degree, Rob, that they had with uh, Mandalorian because they were launching Mandalorian. Listen, Disney Plus is in a lot more territories now than it was in November. But at the time, there were a lot of key countries that Disney Plus was not out in. And they had to understand that Mandalorian was going to get pirated a lot. But hey, it was being pirated in places that Disney Plus didn't exist. Mulan is going to get pirated a lot. I, I mean... It just is. But you know, Rob, one of the possibilities, and I think I've been, I blinded myself to this possibility because you know, I'm very, I'm actually very excited about Mulan. Um, almost, not quite, but almost as much as I'm excited about Tenet. Because I think the trailers for Mulan have looked wonderful. I'm excited about it. But, you know, one of the viewers brought up the possibility the other day. He said, John, you know, the last time Disney took a movie off its rotation and put it straight to streaming, it was Artemis Fowl. And we found out why. It's because that movie sucked. What if Mulan actually sucks? And I'm like, okay, I haven't even considered that possibility because I want this movie to be great. And I think yeah. it looks fantastic. But I don't know. Maybe it comes – maybe they're not worried about the piracy and they're because they realize, you know what? People are going to hate this movie. I, I mean, I don't know. Rob, we're, how do you think they're going to deal with this pirating problem with Mulan? I – you know, they're going to do it day and date. They're opening it in all the other places in the world, aren't they? Um but yeah, I, I mean, it's a real it's a real problem, uh, the pirating issue. Uh, uh, but they are releasing it in theaters and other territories, and they've got to do that day and date. Other than otherwise, it will be pirated immediately. <laughs> so, 
I, I again, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's going to be an issue that they're going to have to deal with. All right, um, Armani Martinez writes our tips in fifty dollars. Thank you so much for supporting the channel on that level, Armani. I really appreciate that, man. Um, hey, John. It's been almost nine years since Steven Spielberg announced that he's producing a live action Halo show. And with all the new Halo hype on the Internet, I saw the show is scheduled for a 2021 uh, with nine episodes for Showtime. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I, I don't really know. The one thing I do know fairly for sure is that don't expect Steven Spielberg to be very involved. Don't actually, matter of fact, let me bring this up here. Uh, Steven Spielberg. There we go. Okay. For example, don't expect him to be very involved. All right. Because some people think Steven Spielberg's producing it. That means he's going to be guided. No, he's not. As of right now, let me bring this up. Steven Spielberg is currently booked to produce. This is just stuff that's not coming out. That, that isn't come out yet. Bernstein, who framed Roger Rabbit 2. Uh, uh, another project, Kidnapping of, of Ed, Eduardo uh, Mortara, which he's also directing, by the way. An Indiana Jones project, a Tintin film, another Tintin film, Talisman, another Color Purple, Robopocalypse, Real Steel 2. And Tal he's got 13 projects that he's scheduled to produce over the next three years. But more important than those 13 projects that he's producing over the next couple of years are the, this big thing. He's directing. He's still working on West Side Story. And after he's done West Side Story, he goes into start directing the kidnapping uh, of Edgardo uh, Mortara, which I'm, I'm sure I'm not pronouncing right. And directing a film takes all of your time and energy. So my first thought on this Steven Spielberg produced Halo thing is don't really expect Steven Spielberg to be really in involved in any way, shape or form. Like, don't don't really don't expect him. He's got a, 13 other projects he's producing and he's directing a movie right now. And he's got, then going to roll right into directing another movie, which is all consuming. So I wouldn't worry about that. As far as it itself. Listen, they put out that little what was it called? Halo Unto Dawn. Is that what they put out a few years ago as a web thing? And I wasn't impressed by it. But listen, it, it's the same as anything. It's like Felipe the Sentient Dancing Microphone. If they have a great <laughs> script and they bring in the right director and they do all these other things and it doesn't matter whether it's based on Halo or a Sentient Dancing Microphone, it can turn out well. So right now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not pessimistic, but I'm not exactly excited for it yet either. So we'll see how that kind of uh, comes about. Anyway, thanks a lot of, uh, again, Armani, for sending that in. And we'll see if we're finally going to get this thing again just – it could be awesome. Just don't expect that it's going to have a lot of Steven Spielberg involvement. I mean, that's that's just the reality of it right now. All right, next up, uh, Suthius writes, Hey, gents, I know it's not one of the best shows, but I've watched since day one. It had ups and downs for sure. However, I'd lo I love the characters, what they've been through, what they've lost and gained. I am truly sad that the Searson... Oh, I was going to say, what show are we talking about? Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. this year. Yeah, listen, you, you know what I'm going to say, Suthius. I am, I am a, look, don't get me wrong. I am a big Marvel fan. I am. I, I really like, for the most part, a lot of the, most of the Marvel stuff. And Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., despite the fact that I love Clark Gregg and I think he's great in the show, Migna as well, Migna Wen, she's fantastic in the show. But I, I have just always found this to be a very low quality show. And I know I get a lot of Marvel fans get very upset at me. For saying that, but I, I just got to speak my truth, guys. I got to speak. I, I've always, I, because you know, I want to love it. I do. I want to love it, 
But every time I, I try watching it, I go, oh, God, this is so bad. And then I'll try it again. And I did it for years. And then finally, in 2000, end of 2018, I, I, I finally tapped. I tapped out. I said, I can't take it anymore. I watched it right up to the one where they went to outer space. They went back in time and they were in outer space. I watched right up to that. And then after that, I'm like, I can't take it anymore. This is so bad. This is so bad. But listen, just because I didn't like it doesn't mean anything. There are a lot of people out there who do like it, including you, Suthius. And if you've enjoyed the ride and hell, listen, it's lasted a long time. What did they get? Seven seasons out of it? Six, seven seasons out of it? I can't even remember how many seasons they got. So I think seven. Six, seven. Is it six? Six or seven, something like that. It could be. Rob, like, did you watch, you know, much of, like, I, I don't know where you are at personally on the whole, um, on the whole Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. thing, but where are you when it comes to, are, are, did you keep up with it? Were you a fan uh, no, of the show? No, I watched the first three seasons. Oh, you watched and, the first three. Okay. Yeah, and then, I mean, I watched it kind of out of obligation, then I just kind of tapped out because, you know, it there was things in it that I thought were interesting. But and the inhuman element and all of that, but it just it, there's so much else on. I, I mean, I guess also I kind of have have a problem with network television shows just in general, and and there you know there's so much better fare to be watching elsewhere, and that was kind of the way I thought about it. All right, I got I got to bring this up. I got to bring this up. Just forgive me for poking fun a little bit, but we've got one of our live viewers, Calvin Patel, is writing in the live chat. If you didn't finish the past few seasons, then you then no opinion can be formed. Oh, that's come on, brother. That's bullshit. I gave that thing five years. If you can't get me on board in five years, then yes, you can form an opinion. I can't tell you whether the last season of Agents of Shield was good or not. I, I can't I can't say that because I didn't watch the last one. But I can very strive. If I gave a show five years. And you can disagree with my opinion. That's totally fine. But if I gave a show five years, I am completely in a position that I can form a very solid opinion about it. Doesn't mean it's, it's a popular opinion. It doesn't mean it's opinion you have to share. Not at all. But I mean, it's not like I gave the first episode 10 minutes. If I gave the first episode 10 minutes, then maybe I can't really form an opinion. But I gave it five years. And so, yeah, yeah, brother, come on, be fair here. Be fair. I, I can give my opinion on that. All right. Uh, but Exuthius, listen, I'm glad you've enjoyed it, man. And, and listen, I, I love that people get to enjoy the content they watch. It doesn't matter if I like it or not. If you watched it and you enjoyed it, that's the important thing. And I'm glad you've been able to have that ride with them, Suthius. All right. Next up, James L.H. writes, hey, John, finally went to Cineworld Sunday. That's the big movie theater chain in the U.K., I finally went to Cineworld on Sunday and saw Return of the King, uh, the extended edition. How it works, uh, one way to enter and one way to exit. Masks, except to eat or drink. And you know what? No problem. Also, the fact the film was four hours was a good way to get used to the new normal for now, which is great. And listen, they're still talking about, you know, I got, I got an email, Rob, from a, from a general manager of a movie theater. Not a whole chain, just one movie theater. And said... But it was one movie theater of one of the main chains. It says, listen, as far as they know, they're still they're still opening in 10 days. They're still opening in 10 days right now. Now, there's going to be some states where they can't do that because the states are not going to allow them to open. Fine. Uh, but they're still saying they're going to do that. But, you know, the key there, Rob, is, you know, you and I have talked about this, is the fact that you've got to have 
you got to have a little bit of that buffer time, right? You can't just open the theaters the day Tenet comes out. You got to get open and get people, get word of mouth out there that you're open and get people starting to come back into the theaters little bit by little bit. You do that with movies like Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. Um, but so, yeah, and it sounds like they're doing the right things. Rob, California, big question mark. New York State, big question mark. But we're only 10 days away from when theaters like Regal and AMC are saying they're going to open. It won't be in all states clearly, but do you, do you think as a whole they're going to be able to do that? <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I don't know, John. I don't see – in California, I don't think so. But other states – there are other states I can see theaters opening. I mean it, 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 there are states that they've, they've brought down the uh, – flatten the curve. They've managed better, but – Again, you know, every time they've tried to do something, whether it's baseball, whether it's kids going back to school, there has been growth in in cases. People have tested positive. And I just don't know. I, I think it depends on how they're going to um, how they're going to disinfect and how are they going to are they going to keep it keep it safe, keep it clean. I, I it's all up to them, really. All right, one more question while we've got Robert here, because I know he's got things he's got to do. But James L.H. writes, lastly, he didn't save every one of us. Or sorry, lastly, he didn't save every one of us, John. But in Brian Blessed Words, Gordon's Alive. Yes, Flash Gordon, 40th anniversary 4K box set with soundtrack plus other memorabilia is now out. Uh, the tree stump scene freaked me out as a kid. Still does to a lesser extent. Rob, of course, the question that I think is on everybody's mind right now, as James L.H. talks about the 4K anniversary box set, is does Robert Meyer Burnett own this 4K anniversary box set? That's the question on everybody's mind. Do you? Okay, I've ordered both. I have not received them yet. There is the Studio Canal version that our viewer is talking about that has all the swag and interesting stuff in it. And then there's the Arrow version that is the two disc version and i will own both of course I just you haven't will receive mine yet but they're both pre-ordered flesh ah! all right rob listen thank you so much for being here dude we will of course see you again tomorrow on the show and we know you got things you got to run and do but in the meantime thank you so much for giving us some of your time and where until tomorrow can people find you and your adventures online by the way, thanks for a fun show. This is a fun show today. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at BurnettRM. Find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. Or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work, and my show, Observations. All right, dude. As always, well done. Good job, man. And I will talk to you a little bit later, my friend. All right. All right, guys. With that down, we still got about 30 minutes to go. Let's see if we can get through all the questions here today. So we move on now to our next question. And our next question today, who sends in our next question? Our next question today comes to us from, and I've lost it. Where did it go? Hold on a second. I'm losing it again. Where'd we go? Ah, there we go. All right. Next question comes to us from Richard Tan. And Richard Tan writes, hey, John, been listening to you for years. Thank you so much, Richard. I appreciate that. Back in December, I weighed 294 pounds and I started running and working out. Good for you, man. That's awesome. Um, and I started running and working out when I listen to your show every day. Listening to your show keeps me distracted enough to not realize how much running sucks. So thanks. Uh, dude, that is uh, – thank you so much. You know, I love hearing from people who write in to tell me about 
Um, you know, number one, they, they tell me about either they listen to me on their commute to work. They listen to me at the gym. They listen to me while they're doing whatever. And, and it's really cool to hear that, uh, that I get to go with you on that journey, man. That is awesome. So first of all, again, I love hearing stories about, again, everybody talks about what they want to do, right? Everybody talks about what they want to do. I want to write a screenplay. Okay. Then write one. I want to write a book. Okay. Then write one. I want to be an architect. Okay, go to school and study architecture. Like everybody talks about what they want to do with with different goals they have. It is the rare person that gets off their ass and starts doing something about it. And I always found that I always find that so inspirational when I hear from people who have a goal, whatever that goal is, and they actually get off their ass and start doing something to try to achieve it. And to me, that's super inspirational. So thank you for sharing that, Richard. I appreciate that, man. And good luck to you, man. All right, David Dilks writes, I thought in The Last Jedi, it would have been more interesting if it turned out that Rey had false memories. Would you have liked it if Rey turned, uh, asked Unkar Plot uh, about her parents and Unkar said that that uh, he and Rey just met a week ago when she landed and applied and applied by herself? I don't think so. I don't think that works. Listen, I was perfectly fine with the original direction they were going with Ray. You know, again, J.J. Abrams, there's still this big misconception out there that Ryan Johnson changed things and made it so Ray was a nobody. No, that was always J.J.'s plan. He, he He's affirmed that and confirmed it many, many times. I like that idea that, you know, through the history of the Jedi, it's just been the force has been, you know, with somebody or whatever, and they come out and there's never been anybody of royal descent in the history of the Jedi until we got to the Skywalkers. And I always liked that idea. And there was so much good stuff you could have followed through with that, especially with JJ coming back to direct uh, the third chapter of, of the prequel. And, and you guys know of, of the sequels, I mean, you guys know the Rise of Skywalker is the, the first Disney produced Star Wars movie that I didn't like, which sucks because JJ's The Force Awakens is my favorite of the new era Star Wars movies. And I, I thought the storyline they had there was perfectly good and set us up for a great final chapter. So no, I I was I I, I personally wouldn't I'm sure there are others who would be, David. I personally wouldn't have been interested in like it was all false memory. Like I wouldn't have been into that. I liked what JJ set up from the first one. That she was a nobody, that she was a new hero in the universe, that the force was moving in her, the force had awakened in a new, you know, vessel. And I think there could have been a lot of really great things JJ could have done with that storyline of his going into the third. And then they, and listen, there are people who really like the rise of Skywalker and I, I don't, I'm not trying to yuck on your yum. I mean, if you liked it, that's great. I wish I liked it. I envy you if you liked it. Cause I wish I did too. But yeah, I just, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. All right. An anonymous viewer writes, thanks for writing that in David. An anonymous viewer writes in today. I'm down to two. Oh, this is, I'm sure from our weight loss guy today. I'm down to 230. That's like 60 pounds. You lost dude today. I'm down to 239. So thanks for your help. Even though you didn't know you were helping streaming new movies is, um, is the future, whether it's this year or 10 years from now, but there is nothing that compares to the theater experience. How do theaters survive this? Well, listen, one of the, I heard, um, a great example. One of the executives from universal, oddly enough, which universal is one of the biggest culprits right now, but one of the executives from universal, you know, mentioned the other day, and I never thought of this comparison. They thought, think of it like the music industry. 
like music you can get online watch it for free on you listen to it for free on youtube get your spotify account all that you can listen to it anytime you want but you know what packs out football stadiums concerts it's still the live thing there is nothing like being there you could say okay yeah but i can hear bruce springsteen sing born in the usa whenever i want i can stream it i don't have to go and buy a ticket to go see him you know with his e street band perform all i don't have to do that i can just listen to it anytime yeah but the being there is the better thing sports as well i mean you can like we i have the nfl network i can watch nfl football anytime i want but it's never as good as actually being in the stadium at a game what will the future hold i don't know i know that under the current model streaming cannot make the money that that the theatrical exhibition of movies does it's just it's not even close like it's not even remotely close the money you can generate in streaming is not remotely close to the money that can be generated in the theaters again i point everybody to a few months ago hollywood reporter did that big round table with the heads of all the studios, including Alan Horn, the heads of Amazon studios, the head of Netflix, the head of universal, the head of paramount. They were all there. And they talked about that. It's like the, the home exhibition of movies cannot compete with the money that can be generated in theaters, but that's right now. It's hard to say, like, I think once the pandemic passes, whenever that is, I think when the pandemic passes, we're going to see theaters get back to normal fairly quickly. But what happens in five years? I don't know. In the entertainment industry, five years is an eternity. I, I simply don't know. Theaters could be bigger and stronger than ever. Theaters could be disappeared in five years. All I know is this, is that like the universal guy said, like music, Nothing replaces actually being in the room while those musical artists are performing their song. As a sports fan, I love watching NHL hockey and NBA basketball and particularly NFL, but nothing comes close to actually being there. Part of the crowd, part of the audience, taking it in live. Nothing compares to that. And nothing compares to the in-theater experience. You go watch a movie like Star Wars or Avengers Endgame or Man of Steel. I still remember being in the theater for Man of Steel that first time Clark puts his fist on the ground and the stones start to thing and he takes off as that incredible Hans Zimmer music score starts to hit and the audience is like, whoa! I mean, there's nothing like it. It is the best way. Keep your crappy little pieces of shit home theater. My, I've got a pretty decent home theater system. It's crap compared to a real theatrical experience. That's why guys like Quentin Tarantino, guys like Christopher Nolan, guys like Denis Villeneuve, all the best filmmakers are all like, no, no, we make our movies for the theaters. But what's it going to be like in five years? Don't know. Don't know. I certainly hope it sticks around. I think it's definitely going to stick around for the immediate future. But then what happens five years from now? Seven, listen, I remember when I started working for AMC and this is, we're getting close to 10 years ago. Now, when I started working for AMC, there were all these boo birds talking about how, Oh, in five years, the movie theaters aren't going to exist anymore. Well, here we are 10 years later and we're still here. The pandemic has certainly caused 
a lot of upheaval. But that's the pandemic. You know, what happens once the pandemic passes? I don't know. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see. It is going to be interesting to see. All right, next up, Fifty Shades of Geek writes, on Friday, my beloved dog, Cindy, uh, had a stroke. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear about that, man. And today I had to put her down and end her suffering to help me uh, to help me mourn. Do you have any good dog slash pet recommendations for me? I never watched All Dogs Go to Heaven. Do you recommend R.I.P. Cindy 20? Dude, I'm so sorry to hear about it. Like, as Ann and I are, are dog owners, I totally feel feel your pain, man. That That is always, always horrible. And I'm really sad to hear that. All Dogs Go to Heaven. Eh. Honestly... You want a little bit of pick-me-up? This is going to sound like a weird one. This is going to sound like a weird one. Pets. Not Pets 2, but the animated movie Pets. Not the second one, the first one. That was just out a few years ago. I actually find that, as a pet owner, I actually find that movie delightful. I find it delightful, and I hope that you will too. Again, deepest condolences, man, as a fellow pet owner, particularly as a fellow dog owner. Uh, I, I, I feel your pain and I'm really sorry to hear about that, man. All right. Baseball is not a sport rights. I finally saw Schindler's list. One of the greatest men. Uh, thanks to you and all the film fan community. All I can say is, wow, beautiful movie. Also, uh, bought jaws in 4k and seen it for the first time. Both great, solid films. Also baseball is not a sport. Listen again. Schindler's list is one of those movies where it's like one of the greatest movies. And I don't know that I can ever watch it again. You know, it's just, it's so it hits me so hard that, again, it's a mo- movie that I think is one of the greatest. I don't think I can ever watch it again because it hits me so hard. Jaws is another one. I've been heard from a lot of people over the past, you know, during the lockdown that have never seen Jaws before that are getting on Jaws. It's like, holy crap, that movie is awesome. I know, right? Jaws is so great. Still the greatest shark movie of all time. All right. Wear a mask, writes. Today marked the 12th anniversary of the death of the hilarious bird. Has it been 12 years? Holy crap, that just feels like it was just a couple of years ago. Damn shame his last film was The Terrible Old Dogs with Robin Williams and Travolta. What's your favorite Bernie Mac film? Uh, Thanks and RIP to the Mac Man. Well, I mean, this is not a good example, but, and it's not, he wasn't even one of the stars of it, but always remember him in the first Transformers movie. Oh, listen, let me, let me bring this up. Um, hold on a second. Let me just bring this up. <laughs> the, the very first one that Michael Bay did with Shia LaBeouf. Um, where did he go? Do, 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 do. Let me see if I can find it here. Yes, Bernie Mac as Bobby. The guy who actually like imparted the car. I don't know why, but you know I love that Transformers movie. That first Michael Bay Transformers movie, despite how all the rest of them were terrible. But that first one still holds a really special place in my heart. And just the way he connects, you know, Spike to Bumblebee, I I found it, it played a very important special part. Now, Bernie, if I'm not mistaken, um, was in Guess Who? And where did it go that not guess who's coming to dinner guess who that he did with ashton kutcher which was a new take on the classic guess who's coming to dinner one of the most important films of all time so they did their own take on guess who's coming to dinner that they just called guess who and it was bernie mac and ashton kutcher not a great movie not a great movie by any stretch of the imagination but i just remember because it was a remake 
and kind of a, a kind of a, a role reversal, a role reversal and a new take on one of the most important movies ever made. I'll, I'll always remember him from that one too. So uh, those are the ones that I can't believe it's been almost 12 years. That's freaky. Okay. Uh, we move on. Uh, who was that? That was Where's a Mask. Marie, uh, Marie Seifring writes, Hey, John and Rob, according to Variety, the movie 1917 won the weekend box office in China, taking in 5.3 million. That's higher than what the box office has been recently uh, on its opening weekend in China. Is this what you expected to see for box office with partial reopenings or were you expecting more? No, I think it's important to understand that number one, China is not the US. So things are going to happen differently there than they do here. What I did expect was that you would see it start to build momentum. And I think we're starting to see a little bit of momentum build in China with their returning of the theaters. Also, you got to remember, 1917 is a movie that came out, what, I want to say like a year ago. It wasn't quite a year ago, but almost a year ago. So a lot of people in China wanted to see that movie. They could have seen it already. There are probably many ways that they could have seen it already. But still... I think what you're seeing is the great, because I think the number one film at the box office the other week was like 3 million, right? Now the number one film at the box office is 5 million. This is what I was talking about earlier that I think in North America too, it's important that the movie theaters open a couple of weeks before the big films start to hit because they got to get some momentum built. They got to let the word get out that the theaters are back where it's safe to do so. They've got to get people back into the habit of starting to come back to the theaters. You need a little bit of, of that momentum building. How it's, I think it's going to be a little bit of a bigger return in the U.S. than it was in China. Uh, but yeah, that's that's so it's pretty much where I thought it was going to be in China for now. Again, I think we're going to see that trend continue to build as well. All right. Thanks for sending that in, Marie. Ryan Loner writes, I'm now almost finished with the Witcher books, and there's a whole bunch of stuff I can't wait to see in the show. Also, some really uncomfortable sexual material. I'm assuming it isn't considered a big deal in Poland, but I wish, I hope, which I hope is taken out. I have never read the Witcher books, but sexuality is clearly a part of the Witcher story. And you know me, it's already rated R. It's already R-rated adult material. So if you're already very well known to be R-rated adult material, to me, I love the filthy. Bring on the filthy. Bring on all the filthy, right? It already is what it is. So I don't know what this uncomfortable sexual stuff is. But sounds good to me. Bring it on. So <laughs> Maybe if I read the books, Ryan, I might think differently. All right. Dan Ketchum writes, uh, holy bargain, Batman. The Walmart drive-ins are going to be free. Guess they're hoping to sell out, sell a lot of candy and soda. Yeah, I was hearing about that. So Walmart, for those of you who have not heard, they're going to turn like 180 of their parking lots into makeshift drive-in theaters. And apparently they're going to be for free. Not a big surprise considering where any theater really makes their money is on concessions. That's really where they make their money. And so, you know, these Walmarts are going to have like people going car to car selling crap or, you know, have a lot available there for you to buy. Uh, so I'm, so that honestly, Dan, that doesn't surprise me too much. By the way, they put out a list of all the, um, uh, of all the, Walmarts where they're going to be doing the makeshift drive-ins and California wasn't one of them. So I'm a little bit bummed out by that. I, so I guess we won't be able to go to any of the Walmarts near us to check it out, but I'm, it could be pretty fun. It could be pretty fun. Hopefully 
This trend, I don't expect drive-ins will stay popular once theaters open back up, but I hope they do. Because I'll tell you what, Ann and I have gone a couple of times already in the past month, and we've really had a good time. We've really enjoyed ourselves going to those drive-ins. So hopefully they make a little bit of a resurgence even once the theaters return. All right, Bill Hauser writes, Hey, pals, about the whole Paramount Law, my first job with AMC Theaters... uh, my first job was with AMC Theaters, but in the 1990s, I worked with Lowe's, who I mentioned a little bit earlier was actually owned by Sony for a period of time that was bought by Sony. At one point, even called Sony Theaters. AMC later bought Lowe's, but Sony owned them for a while uh, while owning Columbia TriStar. Yeah, again, I don't know how that all happened while the Paramount decrees were still law. Like, I, I, I'd be very curious to talk to a film historian and go back 30 years to the 90s and say, how did, that, how did they manage to do that? Like, the, the law prevented it. What was their loophole? How did they work around that ownership issue? Um, because, again, yeah, Sony did own theaters for a while while the law was in place. So I have no idea how they did that. I'd be very curious. Now, if any of you guys actually, let me ask you, if any of you guys have links to some good, a good article that explains how Sony managed to own movie theaters while the Paramount decrees were still a thing, could you guys email me a link at john at the John I, I would I would love to read more about it because I am very curious about it. Thanks for sharing that, Bill. All right. Uh, don't yuck on my yum rights. Finally rewatching The Mandalorian for the first time straight through. Uh, even the one bad chapter five was better without having to wait a week for the second chapter. I can't wait for season two. Will you be doing after shows to season two with or without Christian Harloff? Well, uh, we're definitely going to be doing uh, after shows. We're definitely going to be doing reviews of each episode of The Mandalorian season two, which I loved. Uh, the first season, I should say, I loved. I can also assure you I will not be doing it with Christian Harloff. Now, before anybody jumps to conclusions, say, oh, listen, me and Christian were just communicating the other day. Christian's been helping me out with something that I was working on the other day. Uh, no, it's just a, a matter of Christian has got the things with the SCN network that he's got going. He's building something over there, and all of his time is spoken for. Um, not to mention each, both he and I would want to have you know, the, our own, on our own channels, our own, um, uh, Mandalorian things. So yeah, make, so no, I can pretty much assure you that Christian and I will not be doing those together, but for anybody who likes, writing, Oh, maybe the, no, 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 Christian and I are very, like I said, he was just helping me with something the other day. It's just the fact that he's got all that stuff going on over there. I've got this stuff going on over here. So definitely doing it, but I won't be doing it with Christian. Uh, but you'll be getting two different versions of reviews of the uh, Mandalorian, and I'm sure different points of view on it. All right, peanuts, peanut butter on steak, because I mentioned that the other day. I was uh, wondering how you pulled up web pages so easily when you're looking up something in a split screen. Do you have another camera recording a computer monitor? No. Uh, probably a weird question, but I like how the production of your show looks. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And yeah, listen. So... Uh, let's uh, use this as as an example. So I just, what I do is I use a piece of software called Wirecast, right? A lot of streamers use OBS and it's great. OBS is great. I use OBS from time to time, depending on cer certain things that I'm doing. But to do the John Campus show, I need a piece of software that's much more capable and much more powerful. So I use a piece of software called Wirecast as my streaming production software. OBS is free while this costs almost $1,000, the software I use. But what I'm able to do 
um, you guys know. Let me see if I can. I'm not sure I can. Uh, give let get, let you have a little look behind the curtain here. If I can bring this up, I'm not sure that I can. Uh, let's see here. Uh, video capture. Let me see if I can do this. Oh, maybe I can. Okay, so let's bring this up. So here's kind of my step. You guys know I have like five monitors, right? So monitor, 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 uh, behind my face monitor, all that kind of stuff. So I have this monitor. So here's my software Wirecast. What I do is, here's a web browser with a, window, a picture of this, with this picture right now, right? What I do is I tell Wirecast to look at this window that I have and pretend like this window is a camera. So I tell Wirecast has that capability to look at this monitor and this specific window and pretend like that window is in and of itself a camera. So then I set up a shot that says in this side-by-side -side shot that I'm about to bring up here, in this side-by-side -side shot have my main camera number one in this window you see here, this window here, and in that window put camera screen capture because it's looking at that monitor as if it's its own camera, right? So that way I can bring up things in that window and Wirecast will see that as a camera source in a way. And uh, that's how I'm able to do that. So uh, there you go. A little bit of a behind the scenes there. Uh, give you a, a, I, and by the way, I like it. I get a kick out of when people ask technical questions. I, Cause I like, I'm a tech head. I love talking about tech and all that kind of stuff. So thank you for asking, man. All right, just a few minutes left here. Let me get through a few more here. The facility guy writes, I was 21 seconds from being right. Oh, I remember cause you said you thought the, uh, they would beat the Leafs in four. Uh, good luck with the lottery. Added Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and Jaws to the list of DCPs. I'm running through the projectors. Everything looks like we're opening in 10 days. Yeah, I had another person write to me and says, yeah, I think we're going to be opening up our theaters in 10 days. I, I, I'm hoping you, that you can. Hopefully, hopefully you guys have great safety procedures. You're not going to be able to open everywhere because some states are going to be closed down. And yeah, all the excitement I had about the Leafs doing what was the greatest comeback in sports history meant nothing because then they lost yesterday and they lost the series. So that comeback they did the other day meant absolutely zero, just like my life as a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. My Toronto Maple Leafs fandom has meant absolutely nothing because, again, they don't go to the Stanley Cup Finals. They've never been to the Stanley Cup Finals as long as I've been alive. It's been that long. They've never been to the Stanley Oh, it's hard. It is hard. People don't get how hard it is to be a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. Anyway, Casey McNatt writes... Uh, hey, John, how was your weekend? My weekend was great. Thank you. If this new Superman movie announcement is true, I mean, again, it's, we're speculating. Remember, it's, it's not a report. I'm speculating. I think there's a lot of auxiliary evidence there to point that it could be true. We'll find out. If this movie announcement is true, I hope they go all the way. Uh, they go the way of using new villains. We've already had Lex and Zod a few times uh, already. We are due for a Superman movie with Brainiac as a villain. I'll be honest with you. I don't think Brainiac works as an on-screen villain. I saw them trying to use Brainiac in Krypton. Now, granted, that was Krypton. It was different. But I don't know that Brainiac is a great comic book character. I don't know if Brainiac works all that well on the big screen. 
I, I could I could be wrong. It could work great on the big screen. I'm just saying he honestly wouldn't be in my top five guys to go to go in that direction. I really it, it wouldn't be in my top five. Now you're right. It's time to move on from Zod, but they've already dealt with Zod, so they can't do that. We've we've already had Lex. It's time to move on from that. But I don't know that I'd go Brainiac. I don't know if I go Brainiac. Uh, and somebody just wanting to rub it in. Sorry, Leafs fans. LOL. I know, man. Listen, just par for the course, dude. Being a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, this is just par for the course. I am so obscenely used to it. All right, an anonymous viewer writes, dude, you need to continue Stargirl. No, I don't. Uh, in my opinion, it gets so much better each episode, and the main problems you spoke about, the daughter always saying she's right, it's not as noticeable towards the end. This is easily better than any CW show right now. Please continue. I, I, You know what? I gave it three episodes. Did I give it three or did I only give it two? I thought I gave it three. Oh, anyway, I gave it a couple of episodes, and I'm like, okay, I could just tell from the, the feel of the show that this is not for me. Now, now, granted, the first few episodes of Spartacus were some of the worst television episodes I've ever seen in my life. But I hung in there because my friend was one of the stars of the show. Aaron Cummings was in the show, so I kept watching it. And now it's a top three favorite show of all time for me. But I don't know. I, I, I tried the first few episodes of Stargirl. I'm like, this just feels cheap and dumb. Um, and just not for me, just not for me. So I'll be, I could, I could lie and say, okay, I'll give it a, really, I don't think I'm going to be giving it another shot. I, I gave it a try. Wasn't for me, but other people are liking it and that's great. So I'm glad it's there for other people to like, but it just, it clearly was not a show for me, unfortunately. All right. Old man in the cave writes. Hey, JC and company, uh, when you and Ann go to these makeshift drive-ins at Rose Bowl or Walmart parking lot, uh, your car's on level ground, right? At a real drive-in, you park your car on a slight upward angle. How difficult is it for people in the back to see the shows? Well, it's been no problem at all because what they've been doing is, is they stagger the parking, right? So you park, 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 and then there's nobody right in front of you. So they stagger it, right? So there's nobody right behind you for you to block their view, and there's nobody right in front of you. Then the next row, they stagger the parking again. So it's actually been great. As long as the screen is high enough off the ground, which it normally is, it's actually been pretty great. All right, Joseph writes, Hey, John, huge fan. Thank you so much, Joseph. Are you going to watch the League of Their Own TV show? I will probably give it a shot. I'm curious. Now, if it was with Tom Hanks and, you know, uh, uh, all the original cast, you know, Madonna was there. I would definitely do it, but I will probably give it a shot. I'm not going to lie and say I'm excited about it, but I am going to give it a shot. Uh, let's see. Uh, Cor Pisalo writes, uh, Lumbus in five, Columbus in five, uh, hashtag 1967, the last time the Toronto Maple Leafs were sniffed the Stanley Cup. 2020 might be the weirdest year, but you can always count on the Maple Leafs choking. Dude, it, it is something you can set your clock by. New year, a new way for the Toronto Maple Leafs to choke. They're my all-time favorite team, and it's the long-suffering continues. All right, guys, listen. For K Major and everybody else after that, there's only a couple of questions left. Cameron, man, and all that kind of stuff. We don't, we've run out of time, unfortunately, but do not worry. We will start off tomorrow's live questions with your questions. The ones we didn't get answered here, we're going to start off the live questions part tomorrow with your questions. So keep your eye on that. We will get to you guys quick. And thank you to all you guys who sent in those live questions. Remember, even if you want to now, after the fact, you can start sending in live questions 
for tomorrow's show if you want. Once again, it's streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. It's a great way to support the channel. Special thank you to Robert Meyer Burnett for being here and bringing his awesomeness to the show. And thank you to you guys for making this show a part of your day. You could be doing a lot of things. It means a lot to us that you spend part of your days here with us. Guys, make sure you jump into the comment section. Leave a thought on any or all the topics we talked about here today. Make sure you click on that subscribe subscribe button. Become a subscriber to the channel. That will do it for now, guys. My name is John Campia, and until tomorrow, my friends, bye-bye.